Alana and Alonzo Gray are sitting on the couch in their apartment in Jackson, Mississippi, waiting to leave for their first day of school. Alana is seven, Alonzo's nine. Backpacks and school supplies are on the floor, ready to go. They're wearing freshly ironed uniforms. Backpacks, you? Uh-huh. Did you get Did you get them a lot of new stuff for school this year? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what sort of things did you get them? Um, I got them a lot of uniforms. My daughter could fit a lot of hugs from last year, but my son, he didn't grow four sizes. <laughs> Cheryl Gray, their mom, is 26 years old, and buying new uniforms used to be a bit of a stretch. She's a single mom and has lived in Jackson for most of her life. This my Jackson State thing. Of- She's pointing out her graduation sashes that are hung up around her bedroom mirror. I, did, I graduated from community college, but I did not actually go to the graduation, so I don't have one for Cheryl got pregnant at 16 and worked hard to get her bachelor's degree from Jackson State University. But despite the degree, she's had trouble finding a decent job and faces $40,000 in student debt. She works seven days a week at two low-wage jobs, bringing in a total of $12,000 a year. I was in, I graduated college in 2017, so my plan was to always to stay here graduate college, find a good job, and move out. But it didn't work like that. It's, couldn't find a job. I just weren't prepared for that. Cause like, I spent, like I said, I spent all this time in college, and I like, this is my plan. And then when it didn't work out, I, like, I didn't really have another plan. I was like, what, what am I going to do? To stay afloat, she's enrolled in welfare programs like SNAP. That's the formal name for food stamps. She lives in a housing project where her rent is subsidized by the government. Many of these government-run programs come with work mandates, time limits, benefits caps, all rules that are aimed to prevent fraud, but also limit just how poor people can craft their budgets. And things like school uniforms, they're considered non-essential. But for the past 11 months, Cheryl has been enrolled in a pilot program called the Magnolia Mothers Trust. And it does something a little different. The trust gives 20 black single moms who live in public housing $1,000 each month for a year. And here's the thing. There are no strings attached. Cheryl and the 19 other moms can use the money however they please. I'm Robert Samuels, a national political reporter for The Washington Post. And you're listening to All Told. The idea is called universal basic income. It's a type of social security that guarantees a certain amount of income to every person without having to pass a test or fulfill a work requirement. If that sounds familiar, it's because the idea is everywhere right now. 2020 presidential candidates like Andrew Yang and Cory Booker have proposed versions of universal income programs as solutions to poverty. Opponents argue that universal income would add to the deficit while providing too little oversight to recipients. Those in favor of it claim it will stimulate the economy and help people who are struggling to pull themselves out of poverty. 
But here in Jackson, Cheryl and these 19 women are a part of one of the first pilot programs in the country assessing a seemingly simple solution to end poverty. Giving people money. No strings attached. Aisha Yandaro is the woman behind the Magnolia Mothers Trust. She's 40 years old, and the day we met, she was running from one meeting to the next. Yeah, seriously, it's a whole other situation. <laughs> the Mothers Trust is a part of a larger organization Aisha runs called Springboard to Opportunities. Springboard's mission is to help lift poor families into the middle class. Aisha has worked on issues around poor families for a long time. And she noticed a particular group of people were often taken for granted when it came to discussing poverty. In doing net research, it's when we began to learn that we were, quite frankly, in the United States, the only ones that had done this work um, or would be doing this work with extremely low-income um, African-American mothers. And that was a sort of like a, huh, that's and it still is like a, huh, um, moment because it doesn't seem like it should be something that is so rare. Aisha says most people don't really understand these women. They didn't need another program telling them how to use their government benefits. The women Aisha knew, they needed something else. Cash. Cash to be used for everyday things like childcare or emergency medical needs or paying for school supplies. Food stamps are helpful for groceries. Housing vouchers, they're helpful for housing. But there was no floor, no cushion to pay for the regular things that can come up every day in life. So when we started the Magnolia Mothers Trust, it really was to to be responsive to the needs that our families were indicating that they had. What Aisha believed was this. For people like Cheryl, who are extremely poor, there's just not enough money to do the things that might help lift you out of poverty, even with public assistance. She knew they could handle the budgeting. So that's a judgment. That's a judgment that we are putting on individuals who are poor as to what wise is. No one gets to tell, no one ever says to me, Aisha, on payday, are you using your money wisely? Poor people, Aisha says, are just as capable of spending their money as anyone else. And with more flexibility, Aisha believed they could make better decisions for themselves than a caseworker ever could. We're not saying what good choices are. We are saying that we trust you to utilize these resources however you want to utilize them. If we were saying what a good choice was, we would have a list of options of how the money could be spent. We have never said that. Aisha sought out a new foundation co-chaired by Facebook co-founder Chris Hughes called the Economic Security Project. It's sponsoring other universal income projects in Stockton, California, and Chicago. With the help from them and some other local donors, Aisha raised enough money to fund one year of the trust. By November 2018, they were ready to go. But trying this program in conservative Mississippi versus a liberal place like Chicago or Stockton, California, would be inherently different. The women lived in a state with some of the most restrictive social service systems in the country. And many women were nervous about how the extra income might affect them. Of the 110 women eligible to be a part of the program, only 38 applied. 20 could participate. 
Yeah, the women were selected via lottery. Um, we had a lottery. We pulled names right in this office um, out of a box. So it was a totally randomized process that we wanted to be transparent. We wanted the women to understand that it was a process where everyone had the same fair shot of being selected. A month later, the women got their first checks for $1,000. They had an initial group meeting with Aisha and the social workers. They'd continue meeting once a month over the course of the year. When I first started talking to Aisha about the trust, I asked if I could visit the meetings. Aisha told me no, to make sure that the women were comfortable. Many wanted to keep their participation in the program a secret. They were afraid that neighbors or relatives might ask for money if they knew about it. But I did check in with Aisha and Cheryl, and after about six months, they started seeing some interesting things. Initially, most of the women used the money to pay off debts, buy Christmas presents for their kids, or take a sick day for the first time. But soon after these happy first experiences, the women ran into their first obstacle. That extra income, it had natural consequences. You are in systems where you're highly subsidized. So every time your income goes up, other benefits decrease. You have to negotiate all that. The women were now making too much money to qualify for the same level of government aid. Cheryl saw this firsthand. First, she lost the $150 she received each month for food stamps. Then, her rent more than doubled. I was upset because, I mean, some people stand out here for zero dollars a month. And they want me to pay almost $800. What did you think? So... You found that out. Then what? Then what did you have to do? Just pay it. I guess I wanted to stay here. Just pay it. Could you tell them, like, man, this is a big change? I did tell. I did tell because they're like, there's really defeating the purpose of the thousand dollars a month if I had to pay eight hundred dollars a month in rent that I won't even see. The women also had to learn to handle having extra money in the first place. Most of them had no experience managing discretionary income. Tell me what you did with that first check. I know I blew it. What happened? <laughs> I don't even remember. <laughs> you don't remember? No. How long did it take you to blow it? Like a few days, a few weeks? Probably a weekend. A weekend? I meant my feet. If the women were going to save any money and truly lift themselves out of poverty, they'd need some financial guidance and support. So the trust set them up with a financial advisor who taught them about savings accounts, interest rates, building credit. Most of the women never even had a bank account before. Then the women started seeing small victories. Some sent their children to day camp. One woman filled her gas tank to drive her children to meet their grandfather for the first time in Pennsylvania. For Cheryl, she focused on her son's trouble with reading. My kids did go tutoring throughout the year, mostly just for reading. Uh huh. How much did the tutoring cost? It was, it was $60 a week. $60 a week? I have two kids. Yeah, yeah. So, $60 for the two? Yeah. Okay. 
Now, I should say here that while Aisha is interested in how the women use the money, she's not holding it up as a scientific research study. That would invite the same judgments she complained about earlier. She's working with an evaluator at the Center for Children and Families at Clark Atlanta University who is assessing whether there have been any notable changes in the women's lives. He is asking them things like whether they've changed jobs, whether they're feeling happier, or if they feel confident they can put food on the table. The women have the option to respond to the questions or not. So far, they have reported relying less on emergency lending and are climbing out of debt. Participation in the labor force has remained about the same. And, for Cheryl at least, the financial guidance of the program and the monthly checks have brought big changes. I'm budget great. What's it looking like? What are the savings accounts looking like? My saving well, as of today, I I have thirteen thousand in my bank account. And when you started this, how much did you have? I didn't have one at first. <laughs> I didn't have a saving account at first. Back at her apartment that morning before school, Cheryl looks at her kids, all dressed in their new uniforms. I got the shoes on sale. I got them four per uh, night, and I, only, I spent one eighty. And then, like usually, I spend like a hundred dollars on one pair of shoes. That's a big change. Yeah, it is. Because I was like, I was like, why, why do they need these? They don't really need these. It's funny that like now that you have a little more, yeah. you're like more aware of how much. I don't, I don't know. I could, I mean, I had my kids when I was really young and I guess I just want people to think you know that I was still taking care of them or I could take care of them or I was just like that but I mean I don't think like that no more so what do you think about now when you go shop for them like if not the clearance threat That newfound ability and confidence to save money gave Cheryl an opening to plan for her family's future. And with the $13,000 in savings, she decided it was time to move out of the projects and buy a house. Cheryl searched for houses for a long time and finally found an affordable option through Habitat for Humanity. In Jackson, Habitat is renovating old houses and people can apply to buy them with a small down payment. As a part of the deal, the homeowner will spend 125 hours of their own time helping to renovate the house. Cheryl's Habitat house is really the biggest symbol of what this extra money has allowed her to do. A no-interest 30-year mortgage after a $1,000 down payment was now possible for her. She could also afford to take a day off work. And not only was this possible, it made economic sense. Once the rent was raised at her current apartment, it actually became cheaper to pay the mortgage than to stay in the projects. Today, on the same day her kids are going to their first day of school, Cheryl is all geared up in athletic clothing, 
ready to finish her last nine hours of work building the house. She keeps track of her hours in a little notebook. Cheryl's pretty familiar with the house. She's seen it a bunch of times. But her kids have only seen it once, and they're not so sure about it. Aiden like it. I like it. I Mm-hmm. He got a big backyard. What didn't you like about it, Alana? <laughs> Why didn't you like it? Because the window is too big. The window is too big? What's wrong with that? Like, someone can pew 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 shot. <laughs> That's what I was saying. Yeah, said, someone what? He said, someone can pew pew, 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 pew shot. Oh, I see, I see, I see. Alana and Alonzo are used to hearing gunshots and sirens in their current neighborhood. Their apartment building smells like old cigarettes. But even though it's only a 10-minute drive away, their new house, this new neighborhood, could not feel more different. It's quiet, filled with trees. The air smells sweet, like pine. The new house sits on a big corner lot on a residential street. The house is mostly wood framing now and cinder blocks, but it's just a couple sessions away from being fully renovated. As Cheryl walks onto the property, she's greeted by David Smith, the construction site manager. You doing all right? I'm good. Are you working today? Yeah. All day? Yeah. Ooh, you picked a tough day, didn't you? <laughs> Why <are> you <laughs> it's 110 degrees on the heat index. That's why I brought my fan today. I didn't want people to say David takes us on a tour of the house before the official workday starts. We're going to go through the front door. How about that? Okay. Well, why don't you tell us about your house? You know, you, you know what's what now. You weren't here when we did this last week, so see, we put the new. Cheryl looks shocked as she walks around the house. Her closet is bigger than her this current bedroom. bedroom. This, is, this is a large bedroom. Since we close these windows in now. After the tour. About 20 volunteers from the Jackson area gather around David and get ready to start the workday. We are going to have to all go over here and grab a bunch of tools and lay out cords, saws, saw horses, and get everything set up. Cheryl carries wood and power tools into the house. As she's helping nail some wood into the floor, Kira Johnson, a social worker at the Magnolia Mothers Trust, pulls up to the work site. She works with all the moms who are in the program and she's due to have a monthly check-in with Cheryl to see how things are going. So how's everything at work? Kira and Cheryl stand off to the side of the garage where volunteers are ripping out old beans. Do you want to still work with kids? Because most of your experience has been early childhood because that was your intern. On top of the house, Cheryl also recently applied and was accepted to graduate school. Did you enroll? Right, because if you don't take part-time, um, full-time, you won't get financial aid. So you have to pay for that out of pocket. So you could pay for a class. I And then just to see you have some success in a graduate course. Like we talked about before, you had your interview. It's it's more to kind of see how you'll do in the program. Instead of you being admitted full-time and you have to take a full course load, 
this is an opportunity for you to take one or two classes at a time, kind of get your feet wet and just see how you do. You're saying okay, but your face is not saying anything. Cheryl is not sure if she'll be able to balance childcare, graduate school, and working two jobs. School might have to wait. But now, school is also an option, even if she has to take it slow. Kira notes that one of the women in the trust also used the money to pursue a degree. And that money provided her with the opportunity to be able to take care of her family, complete her education, and hopefully this is going to just move her, like springboard her to the next step, you know, mm-hmm. of being able to secure employment. But that's, that's the connection that I see is the difference was my bills were still going to be paid even though I ran into this adversity. The goal of the pilot was to help free these women from mere financial survival. Could they achieve something bigger if they had the extra cash? Aisha and her team are fundraising to do another year of the Magnolia Mothers Trust with a new set of women. They're not sure if they'll meet their fundraising goal. It's possible that this pilot program will be the only chance Aisha might get to give her mothers free cash. Lots of questions remain about whether a program like this could work on a larger scale like some politicians have suggested. But Kira knows nothing's particularly special about this group of women. They were all poor mothers trying to do their best in an expensive world. And even though there were just 20 women in the South in a single program, Kira is sure their experiences reveal something powerful to those who doubt their abilities. I know that the moms that we've served, it's benefited them. This pilot in itself will show people that when you eliminate insecurities and housing and food and, you know, all those issues that are just those basic needs that everybody needs. People will have the opportunity to function and flourish at a very high level. Midday, everyone takes a break to eat lunch. Cheryl decides to give Kira a tour of the house. It's Kira's first time inside. So where are you going to put your Christmas tree? <laughs> like right, right in the window? Yeah. <laughs> You'll be able to have Thanksgiving and Christmas at your new house. All Told is a Washington Post podcast. I'm Robert Samuels. This episode was produced by Ariel Plotnick. It was edited by Carol Alderman and director of audio Jess Stahl. If you'd like to read the written version of this story, go to wapo.st slash all told income.